I want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a professional who started in my industry in finance, private equity, and is now taking his efforts into ventures related to proactive health, which is an important part of the Halo sector. Teddy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pete. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So first off, we'll give a shout out to our boy, Steve Wiesner, who used to wear a pirate uh, eye patch back in the day, <laughs> who still has a prowess for understanding how to connect all the dots in the right places at the right time. Thanks for setting this up for us, Mr. Wiesner. And uh, Teddy, talk about you know, you've had more of a conventional uh, uh, pathway since uh, graduating from Warden and now, uh, you know, going to basically try and disrupt the healthcare industry, which uh, we need more people like you doing that. So uh, give us a quick bio and then we'll uh, we'll get to the strategy at hand. Absolutely. So, you know, speaking of conventional, I just got really lucky to have a quarter life crisis uh, somewhere in my mid 20s because conventional wisdom just didn't work for me uh, in two particular ways. Uh Number one, just I was born and raised on the mental model that if you work hard, you'll be really happy. Uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Dad's a tax attorney. Mom's an MBA. And so I pursued good grades. That's how I earned love in my household. And this served me pretty well, uh, you know, through high school, college, uh, the first phase of the career. So do the, the typical shiny object business stuff. Worked at Bain in Chicago and Melbourne and then middle market private equity at a shop called Charles Bank Capital Partners out in Boston. And I was incredibly fortunate to work with incredibly talented people on very complex and interesting problems. Uh, and I was successfully attaining money, status, prestige at the time, but candidly, I wasn't very happy. Uh, and it was interesting to learn that at, you know, looking back nowadays, 35, what was such an early age. So I was very fortunate, got lucky, saw a TED Talk back when that was more of a thing uh, from Dr. Martin Seligman, who's at Penn's Positive Psychology Center. The TED Talk's called The New Era of Positive Psychology. And it puts out the absolutely crazy hypothesis that if you do work that you deem to be subjectively meaningful, uh, you'll have a better time of it. Uh, and you know, sadly, this was a shock and a surprise and news to me at the age of 25. But uh, given the circumstance, I took it to heart, uh, screwed off to business school to buy some time in a very risk-averse way. Uh, and that's when you know, doing a little bit more soul searching, we can talk about, uh, landed on this mission that I call proactive health. Awesome. So you know, as you. Uh you know, got part of the foundation of, uh, you know, investment banking, finance, you know, teaches you to look at things a certain way. You know, Charles Bank, good friends of ours, you know, cash flow businesses, let's see if we could drive the growth here. Let's kind of stay within the, uh, you know, the uh, the lanes of, you know, like a kid's birthday party where they put the, uh, you know, the, the frames over the gutters and just kind of, let's just run this thing down the fairway. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. you got a lot of venture capital firms that kind of 
you know, look at things and say, hey, we're going to take a bet that the industry is going to change, that this management team is going to change the world and that there's a new way of doing business. At the same time, there's established players that have a lot of money, that have a lot of labor, uh, lobbying dollars that uh, like the things the way they are uh, and it mm-hmm. works for them. So, you know, as you've kind of looked at proactive health and some of the people we've talked to uh, come to the conclusion that it doesn't really serve, you know, the health insurance companies. It doesn't serve the pharmaceutical okay. industry. Uh, and even though it's obviously the right thing to do and there are more and more research studies, which I think that we don't need any more research studies and exercise and treating <laughs> yourself better uh, is, is a positive towards longevity and not getting uh, sick and living a halo lifestyle. So, so Teddy, as you kind of look at the framework of the current ecosystem around healthcare and basically a lot of money being spent on people that are sick and that benefits a lot of groups in the ecosystem, how do you think about different pathways to go down? And how do you kind of flip the switch uh, from an education standpoint, policy, or just, hey, this is a better solution and we're going to basically just go hard at it and people are going to see the results and then they're going to get on board. It's a phenomenal question. I wish I had the answer for you, but you know, I'll share a few insights that are hopefully helpful for you and the audience here. I think number one, uh, are you familiar with the phrase uh, via negativa? I am not. I am not. Explain. So fancy way of saying through the negative. Uh, it's basically addition by subtraction. And you know, I think in a lot of these proactive health verticals, uh, so nutrition, for example, how can we improve nutrition by doing less? Right. And so very simple idea, possibly reduce sugar in your diet. Uh, pretty tried and true. Like you said, we don't need any more information. Uh, folks probably know this. The challenge here becomes where's the incentive, uh, particularly in a capitalist ecosystem, to you know get paid to help someone reduce their sugar intake. It really doesn't exist. You might have some interesting CPG products. Uh, you might have some interesting nutrition coaching companies. Uh, but largely speaking, uh, most of the incentives are to get folks to do more. So you know, I would argue when I zoom out and look at proactive health and I think about categories like nutrition, exercise, sleep, mental health, and relationships, um, a lot of these categories, there are these incredible solutions in this via negativa lane uh, that should be implemented more in the average person's day-to-day life, but there's no monetary incentive and it's really hard to build a business around them. So reducing sugar and nutrition, uh, reducing screen time, social media consumption, for example, uh, for mental health, um, in sleep also, similarly reducing screen time or um, maybe reducing alcohol consumption. There are some businesses to be added here, but in terms of venture scale um, and really exciting private equity theses, you just, you don't see a lot of companies in the via negativa realm. So sadly that leaves us with a smaller subset of potential solutions um, within those evidence-backed behavior change interventions. Um, and now you have to focus on doing more. Where can you do more? And I think two examples of this that we've seen a lot of investment and excitement around you know, one in the nutrition space, uh, actually a former client of mine, Territory Foods, is in healthy meal delivery. Uh, so you'll pay them to craft and curate your weeks of delicious and healthy meals they'll ship to your door. We've seen a lot of folks go out of business there recently, and sadly, those business models right. haven't worked out. I think it was freshly, maybe it was in December, uh, put up this ad RIP message on the website. What you have seen, though, are some interesting models where when you get insurance to pay for it uh, and you combine those healthy meals with some nutrition coaching, uh, you might have viable business models here. And this is, you know, very early seed and series A type companies. I believe Seasons is one of them, uh, where you take an interesting concept like healthy meals delivered to the door and attempt one was get the consumer to pay for it, seemingly didn't work out. Any iterate experiment, you move beyond that. And now we have potentially an insurance paying version of that 
that heck could uh, could go off to the races and be incredibly successful. You know, when you take a look at at, at food choices, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, it costs a lot more money to eat healthy. You know, and, and to go to Whole Foods, you know, or uh, in California, there's a, a store called Air One, and you know, they joke oh, yeah. about it, it's Air One Hundred because you, you, know, you can't get out of there for less <laughs> than a hundred bucks, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, does that kind of create, it, you know, a, 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 an issue related to trying to educate the people that need to be educated, and also having a price point uh, that works for them, or at least giving them a roadmap to say, hey, look, if you know, there are food deserts out there where there's no fresh food mm, right you know somebody's like hey i can buy a bag of potato chips lay his extra size and that'll take care of it uh you know to feed my family so there's definitely like a food pricing issue i think um yeah, yeah. that's one and i think there's an ed you know education obviously is everything so mm -hmm. is there a way that you think we can incent people to take classes we can have them upload pictures of the healthy foods that they're serving and, and, and have this as a gift card rewards based, you know, grassroots movement. Um, I feel like there's a lot of ideas out there. I'm not sure how many companies are actually have a business model related to affecting the change. Cause I don't think it's policy and, and government. I never it think it's that. Well, so I'll give you a, a shiny example. And here I get to give a shout out to Sam Polk at every table. So when I first uh, graduated business school and moved to LA to start uh, working with startups in this proactive health sphere, in this case, Canary Health, uh, it was important to me to, to join a, a nonprofit in the space and do some volunteer community-based work. And Sam had created a company, uh, or excuse me, a nonprofit at the time. Then it was called Grocery Ships. Uh, now I believe it's called Feast. Uh, and the concept was as follows. So prong one was, to your point, uh, healthy food's really expensive. Uh, so we're going to find a way to fund some subsidies for folks who are lower income to be able to buy healthier food. Prong number two was nutrition education. We're going to teach some basic first principles what it means to be healthy. And prong number three, which was actually kind of hidden in disguise, but became more and more prominent as I spent more time with the organization, was essentially peer coaching, where if you did a weekly two-hour session with these folks, and these are primarily lower income, non-English speaking households in Southern California, you know, you spend one hour on the nutrition first principles where there actually was some learning and there's some uh, some opportunities for better education there that perhaps we take for granted. But in particular, that second hour where you have folks who are just talking about their daily lives and how do I get my husband to eat this and how do I get my kids to eat that? There was so much potential unlocked there and it's amazing all the points of friction that exist purely like given you can afford the food and given you know what's healthy, the basics of just serving dinner for your family can still be really complex and tough. And I think they serve as a phenomenal model for, you know, how can you pull together a viable business model of just number one, basic nutrition education, and number two, doing that really hardcore behavior blocking and tackling to enable someone to put food on the table for their entire family. Uh, there are lower cost and freer options that I've seen, but in terms of, again, going back to your point, very large scale venture backable or private equity plays, haven't seen them in the space yet. Can we take a look at some of the, uh, shows that are on television um i don't watch these but you know cake wars uh you know or some of these uh you know uh food shows that are you know give the ingredients like you know that is not a healthy meal it might be cool to watch somebody prepare it but mm -hmm. those are probably more than the calorie intake that you should have you know in a day um mm -hmm. whose responsibility is that or is that just you know look you've got to always fight a capitalist venture with education and 
a voice that is equivalent to what is being put out there. Obviously, we're in a free press, free speech, say whatever you want, as long as you don't mm-hmm. say, you know, this cures cancer or, um, you know, uh, have uh, fraudulent claims. I think mm-hmm. it's very hard unless we get to the kids and mm-hmm. have them be the ones to potentially tell their parents, hey, do you know how much, uh, you know, uh, 50, 50 grams, 40 grams of sugar is like 10 cubes uh, of sugar. <laughs> you know, most people yeah, don't right. know that. Uh, mm-hmm. When an Uber driver asks me, you know, I say, hey, do you want anything from the convenience store? He's like, give me a Mountain Dew. I'm like, definitely not, dude. There's 22 <laughs> cubes of sugar in the Mountain Dew. I'm not giving that to you. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think there's going to be policy change. I feel like it's, you know, education. Talk about what okay. you've done with, you know, Precision Nutrition and some of the other groups basically have this army out there uh, of, uh, you know, grassroots nutritionists and, and where dietitians kind of fit into the whole ecosystem. Yeah, it's a really hard and uphill battle. Uh, again, not a ton of good news here, but I think you really nailed it, Pete. Uh, there's some real pernicious incentives that are at play here, and, and nothing I'll say here is rocket science or novel. But if you think about a focus on engagement, uh, you know what engages? Uh, what engages is emotional. Uh, so food porn, as you mentioned, is one way of doing that. Um, another thing that's very engaging is tribalism. You know, my diet's better than your diet, and we're going to be absolutist and dogmatic and extremist about it. That's another really effective way of getting engagement. And the sad thing to your earlier point, Pete, is if you engage with that media and believe that to be true, uh, you're probably going to be worse off than where you started. If you either, uh, you know, number one, are, are going very indulgent, uh, especially if you've you know, just sparked an emotional reaction based on what you saw, or uh, if you cut out a bunch of really healthy options because you took an extremist and dogmatic uh, health position, you're probably also in a worse place. And just to, to give a quick example here, I was actually emailing back and forth just two days ago with a very good friend of mine from business school who is at a leading private equity fund. You know, he's no dummy, cares a lot about his health and wellness. And he saw a specific food documentary that I won't name uh, that's highly tribal. Um, and man, the amount of effort it's going to take for me to try and dislodge that as the right way to eat for him uh, is perhaps infinite. I might never be able to make that case once he's been convinced. So it's a really hard uphill battle. Um, I think you you referenced Precision Nutrition. I was incredibly fortunate uh, to work with PN and Tim Jones um, and their private equity sponsor, Boston Ventures and Justin Garrison. Uh, and we were actively looking to source uh, source some acquisitions for them last year. But you know what Tim and the team are doing, in my opinion, you know number one, they're incredibly evidence based. Uh, they only focus on you know epistemologically intelligent people can disagree, but very high quality and standard of evidence. Number two, they realize the basics don't change over time. And within that, they realize the hard bit is not understanding what's right. We kind of know that. The hard bit's getting people to engage with it and have fun with it. So they do really fun, really engaging, long-form content that pretty much anyone of any skill level or education level can interact with. And they make almost all that content available for free online. That's how I first met them years ago before they were a formal client. And then ultimately, they're just trying to teach their customers and their clients who are largely uh, health and wellness professionals like personal trainers, nutritionists, you know, first and foremost, number one, the basics are pretty much true to form and haven't necessarily changed a lot over time. Um, and number two, a lot of the coaching isn't necessarily teaching people what they need to do, but it's getting them to engage with it. It's getting them to be able to install that behavior in their daily life. It's getting them to be able to install that behavior with the constraints of feeding their entire family. Uh, in my opinion, they're an industry leader and and deserve to be where they are. That's great. Let me ask you a question. So you, you worked in uh, in Australia uh, for mm-hmm. a period of time. 
Eh? Um, has there been a study done or a deal of knowledge of what other countries are from a behavioral or, you know, calorie intake standpoint or, or any programs or initiatives that have been put in place that might be the silver bullet, um, that haven't been tried here yet? Or, you know, are there any tax on people who, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, why should we take care of you? Um, you know, if you're not going to, you know, have a behavior that is, um, self-care, you know, why mm-hmm. does that become the government's obligation, uh, when you do get sick? Obviously I got a view on this. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to get too, uh, you know, draconian about it, but mm-hmm. I don't know why I should cover your health needs if you didn't take care of yourself while you could. Yeah, it's a really interesting and probably pretty thorny question. I think there's two avenues to discuss here. And and to be clear, I am not a global expert and I wouldn't even call myself an American expert in either of these. So number one on the policy side, I think to your point, there's an open question of engineering incentives of, you know, how do you make it clear to folks that they are responsible for uh, what is within their locus of control? Uh, and the challenge there is even terms like responsible for and within their locus of control, you know, intelligent people can really disagree about what those mean um, and how much responsibility individuals have, what is actually within their locus of control. You mentioned food deserts. You know, is it a reasonable expectation to have someone to walk a mile and a half to go find fresh produce? Uh, you know, again, intelligent people disagree, uh, and I don't want to impose uh, my values and beliefs on that. I think, yeah, number one, you're going to see a diversity of, of policy approaches to healthcare. I uh, don't have any hot takes for you, from, especially from a global perspective. I don't want to speak for a place of ignorance. Um, but I think more importantly, you do have pretty big cultural differences. And I think in particular, it's number one, uh, what are the types of ingredients and types of dishes that are prominent in a cuisine? Uh, so, you know, from a macronutrient perspective, a micronutrient perspective, um, and then generally a nutritional or caloric density perspective, if you think about, you know, I'm making this up, the, the top 10 dishes consumed by culture. How do they perform on those and how correlated are those uh, with uh, a quote unquote healthy lifestyle? And then the second bit I'd, I'd advocate for culturally is, you know, kind of what is that ritual and routine around eating? You know, is it something that's done unconsciously? I mean, I'll throw myself under the bus here as a middle schooler. I was doing everything I could to avoid eating dinner with my parents. So I'd be in front of the TV kind of mindlessly eating. There's no sense of calorie control or portion control in that context as compared to you know, you go out of your way to cook a meal with your family for three hours that you then slowly consume over another three hours. And, you know, if you're old enough, maybe share a yeah, bottle culturally, of wine. Culturally, people just don't even have that time to, to, to allocate towards. Yeah, yeah, depending. I mean, for what it's worth. So I'm, I'm a Brooklynite. I'm a New Yorker born and raised. My girlfriend is Mexican and, and Venezuelan. And we were in, uh, we were actually in Nashville with her dad, uh, who's Mexican, and we were making dinner. And for the first time in my entire life, we spent three hours making the meal three hours sitting there and eating it. And from a, in terms of number one, what we ate, what was actually on the plate, number two, how much was on the plate. And then number three, that surrounding context of how conscious we were of what we were eating. It was just radically different than what I was used to. If that was like Thanksgiving dinner, I'd like to see what everyone brought to the meal from each one of the countries, uh, as a, as a, uh, as a portion control and, and what's, uh, what's healthy in the spices. David, you want to join us for the? Uh, I, I do have some. Want to chime in yeah. here? Are either of you guys familiar with Blue Zones? 
Blue uh, zones, I, I yeah. didn't catch that. Blue zones is relevant here, oh, I yeah. think. Dan Buechner. Manhattan Beach is a blue zone. So, yeah, for people who, <laughs> who don't know what blue zones are, it might be worth, uh, you know, a look-see because it's he does go into this glo for global trends, et cetera. It's fascinating work that he's done. Yeah, for what it's worth, I'm going to be uh, thorny and a bit of a, a stickler here. So this is my own epistemology, not necessarily right for everyone, but are you familiar with the concept of healthy user bias? No. So healthy user bias means, you know, when you look at an epidemiological correlation, so, you know, we looked at these seven different communities and there's tens of thousands of people in each of these communities and they eat in different ways. Let's see the outcomes. The challenge there is you as a good scientist, you're trying to control the one variable that you think matters, in this case, nutrition and diet. In reality, there are a ton of variables that are completely outside of your locus of control. So going back to that cultural question, how much alcohol is regularly consumed by the communities? How much exercise do they regularly do? How much sleep do they get? How much meaning do they have in their day-to-day -day lives? What's the sense of community? And so to me, it's an interesting starting point to look at studies uh, and, and concepts like blue zones. It's great to create first principles and interesting hypotheses to test. But in terms of uh, hardcore silver bullet takeaways of those folks live to 100 and thus we all must eat that way, I, I would actually argue against that approach. Okay, so in closing here, uh, since you've kind of layered up and now are thinking strategically about where you're going to have your best return on time, what are the three categories or areas within proactive health that you are most focused on, think that there's a really strong uh, you know, economic thesis or where you think you're going to make the most impact? Yeah, I'll give you three, uh, within three pillars, individual categories that I'm really excited about. And to be clear, these haven't, be so haven't been solved yet. Uh, the business model has not been figured out, but man, am I excited because I see some really talented folks working there. Uh, the first one, if you look at mental health, you know, we've had an incredible chapter within mental health over the past years of access to tools uh, like therapy uh, and like pharmaceuticals. I would argue the portfolio of tools within mental health that ought to be available to folks are much broader and larger uh, than that first pass. Uh, you know, I'm biased. I started off this journey uh, working with a meditation app called Headspace. Meditation is absolutely not the right answer for everybody, but it is a helpful tool for some folks. So is journaling. So is sensory deprivation. So are digital forms of therapy and lighter touch like digital CBT. And so within that mental health realm, I think an interesting thesis of how do you avoid the pernicious incentives of getting folks to pay for therapy and SSRIs and instead find a personalized solution for each person that probably is lower in cost and probably even less time. So from a resource consumption perspective, way better for the consumer, way better for the payers. It just requires nuance and some patience to figure out what works for them. I think that's an incredible opportunity moving forward. Uh, a second one um, in the realm of sleep. Again, I refer to that via negativa concept. So here, the, the big business models are mattresses, are wearables. I would argue optimizing your local environment, making sure you're breathing out of your nose correctly, maybe with some nasal dilators, making sure that there's not a lot of light in the room, maybe by a sleep mask, buying earplugs. Again, in terms of business models that are viable today, the incentives aren't there, but in terms of cost-effective and proven solutions to improve health, I think there's a lot of tools in that toolkit that deserve a lot more time and attention. Um, and finally, in the realm of, of relationships and social health, I've been very fortunate to come into contact with a couple of early-stage companies like ours 
that are focused on preventative relationship coaching. So instead of, you know, traditional couples therapy where there's already an issue, how do you install foundational principles and behaviors up front to ensure the long-term health of your relationship? Again, this is not top of mind for folks, but, you know, I would recommend it to myself in my relationship. I recommend it to all of my loved ones um, and using these clinically proven long-term preventive solutions in the sphere of relationships just hasn't really been touched and explored. Yep. Got it. All right. Great. Well, hopefully that helped our audience think about areas of opportunity where they should think about making a, an impact with their businesses. And if there are partnerships that do come along to address some of these preventative health and uh, proactive health uh, initiatives, let's, uh, you know, start a grassroots movement and that starts with one person at a time. So Teddy, welcome officially to the Halo sector. Feel free to use that acronym as you move through your networks and uh, look forward to meeting you in uh, in Brooklyn and uh, sharing a, a mixed ethnic meal at some point with uh, organic uh, food and beverages. So good to see you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time.